Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And on today's show, I was joined by Terry Ryder from Hotspotting, and we talked about the state of the Australian property market in 2023. We talk about the comparison between 2022 and 2023, what to expect in the year ahead, where some of the common narratives are going wrong in both the media and for property investors. We talk about our points of view on regionals versus capitals and lots, lots more. So if you are a property investor who wants to be more successful in 2023 than this is an episode for you. I encourage you to like, rate, review, share, whatever platform you are on, make sure you subscribe, make sure you rate it, make sure you like it. It really helps the show and I really appreciate your support and help us get this message out to more people. That would be fantastic. Without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it and I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me on today's show is the infamous, the inimitable Terry Ryder. Terry, how are you? I'm feeling very infamous today, uh, Goose, um, but also very informative. So um, yeah, you, you caught me on the right day to be talking about real estate in 2023. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, it's um, it's what an interesting year. I mean, as we record this right now, we're still in January. When the episode comes out, it'll be February sometime. But 2023 is shaping up to be a very interesting uh, year in the property market. And I know that there are a lot of property investors who have probably got their heads in a spin because 2022 was a bit like interest rates are going up, people, the media is going wild. I think a lot of people are kind of maybe a little uncertain about, about what the future holds in 2023. So I'd like, I'd like to kick off with a question from your perspective and your point of view. What do you think is different or will be different in the market in 2023 versus 2022? What do you think is different this year? I think we're going to, it's going to be a lot less negativity. There's going to be more growth evident. I think we're going to see results that will surprise the journalists and confound the economists who have been you know, forecasting dire outcomes. I think you know, what's interesting to me is the difference when it comes to forecasting and analysing real estate, particularly as pertains to 2023, the difference between what the specialist real estate analysts are expecting and what the economists who work for the major banks and other major institutions are saying, because there's a, there's a huge uh, disparity there. The, the specialists like myself and yourself and one or two others, there aren't many, are expecting there to be growth this year in most places, and I'm quite certain that's going to be the case, whereas the economists who... I think I've got a track record of getting it wrong and, and showing that they don't really understand how real estate markets work and what drives them. They're the ones that are forecasting prices dropping 15, 20%. We, we're not going to see that. Useful to look back and have a look at um, who got it right and who got it wrong. But I think it's going to be a year of a lot more positivity and uh, growth. Good opportunities for investors this year. What's really interesting is you say that this year is going to be uh, more positivity and more growth. But the thing is, from my point of view, those two things are inextricably linked. You know, if you think, look, just to, and just to be clear, my point of view from having a look at um, thousands of suburbs of data is that, you know, the, the news story that the property market is crashing is just not true. Some places have gone down, great, sure. But plenty of places have still been growing all through 2022. So growth hasn't stopped. Growth isn't necessarily going to return. What is really interesting is that the thing that I think is going to happen, and I've been saying this for a couple of months now to, to my team, if you go back to 20, uh, 2020, 
you know, in the kind of like second half of 2020, I was saying to people, if you don't get in by March 2021, you're going to just be, you're going to be in a red ocean. You're going to be in the middle of the herd because everyone's going to start rushing back into the market because they're going to, you know, the environment is going to change. And I kind of see the same pattern rolling out again in 2023, where there was a lot of people who kind of put the brakes on, interest rates kind of got it, gave them a little bit of the, um, gave them a bit of concern or whatever. But I think my point of view is that psychologically people have gotten over to a large degree gotten over the shock of interest rates rising and also there's a high probability that interest rates are going to interest rate rises are either going to slow stop or reverse at some point in the kind of not too distant future those two things combined bring consumer sentiment back up which then as consumer sentiment rises what is that that is people's propensity to feel confident about the decisions they're making so rather than saying look I'm not sure I'm just going to wait People are actually going to say, you know what? I'm not going to wait anymore. My money's being degraded by, by inflation. I'm going to get stuck into things. Let's go. And they're all going to start pouring back into the market. And that specific level of buyer activity is going to be the catalyst for significantly more growth in significantly more regions. That's my point of view. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, well, I think basically uh, that's a sound analysis of what's likely to happen. But I think it's really interesting. There was a, a survey published uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, which I thought said a lot. One of the regular uh, surveys by Westpac, there's got a consumer confidence survey. And what it found when, when they asked people about real estate is that the majority of people are expecting real estate prices to rise this year. And the senior economist for Westpac was absolutely confounded by this and was basically quite condescendingly saying that consumers, what do they know? They've got it wrong. They're going to be disappointed. We know better. Prices are going to fall. So it was interesting that m most consumers, despite all the negativity in media, are, have an expectation that prices will rise this year. And I think they'll be right. But the, um, the chief economist for Westpac was um, kind of dissing their, their own survey because it didn't produce results that complied with, it, with their forecasts. And I sort of wonder when economists are going to learn that maybe their, their economic models that they use for forecasting are faulty because they haven't been right any time in the last five or six years, and mostly they've been spectacularly wrong. Yet they, you know, it's the definition of insanity, isn't it? You keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result. Well, they're not getting a different result. They're continuing to mispredict um, property markets because they don't get it, and um, they're not adjusting. And I think that there's a fundamental, uh, there's a really interesting insight in exactly what you said. So they produced a survey. The consumers explicitly said, "This is our sentiment or our belief." And then they said, well, that doesn't match the model. Therefore, the survey or the response is wrong. However, time and time and time again, it is the evidence has shown that psychographics drive property markets a hell of a lot more than things like demographics or economics. You know, how people feel, how people think, what their behavior shows, which is the representation of their internal emotions and action and, and the actions of the output. That is the thing that drives markets. People vote with their feet. People say, I'm going to go there because I believe that location. I like how that location makes me feel. Or I think I can find more opportunity in that location or, you know, all of these kind of things. And so at the end of the day, it's, it's what's between the ears that drives markets more than more than anything else that, that people kind of bang on about. It's not interest rates. It's how people feel. It's not economic models. It's how people feel. And I think that's kind of the, uh, the underlying thing. So, yeah, I, I just... It's funny to me that they're still banging the same drum and just ignoring the evidence when they see it right in front of them.
Yeah, but as I said, there's there's um, a completely different message coming from the people like yourself, like us, like you know, Simon Presley from Propiology, the people who um, are at Domain, for example, and PropTrack, different kind of forecasting for 2023 than what we're getting from the, the big bank economists who journalists think they have credibility because they've got fancy titles like Senior Economist for Westpac or CBA. But if you examine their track records, you wouldn't give them any credibility at all. And hopefully at some point in time, journalists will realise that and actually go to the people who actually have a track record in analysing property markets accurately. Yeah, but I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, <laughs> no. But you know what? That also represents the opportunity, right? You know, and this is this is the thing that I keep telling people, like, great, fantastic. I mean, most people are getting their information from the wrong places and the statistics point to the fact that most people aren't as successful as they would like to be in property investing. And so for those people who are listening to, you know, shows like this and, and getting advice and insights from yourself and other people like that, it's it's a great opportunity to actually go, well, how can we think differently and how can we catalyze on this opportunity? So I'd love to ask you, I mean, what emerging trends do you think are going to shape the property market in 2023? We've seen over the last couple of years, you um, coined the term the exodus to affordable lifestyle, which I quite like as well. Um, do you think that that trend is going to continue or do you see any other new trends that are shaping up the market in 2023? Trends like the exodus, I think, will continue because it's a long-term trend. It's been, media has misrepresented that along with a whole lot of other things and told people that it's a, a product of COVID, that people move to the regions to get away from lockdowns. It's been underway for much longer. You and I know that. Sydney's been losing population to what we call internal migration, people moving to other parts of Australia for more than 10 years now. And Melbourne in large numbers for the past five or six years. That's what the population data shows. So it's, it's a long term trend caused um, or empowered by technology. It's not uh, fundamentally caused by COVID. So it's not going to reverse because COVID allegedly is dealt with. Um, so that trend continues. Um, other sort of macro trends that sort of um, are national trends. The opening of uh, international borders is very significant because migrants and students come back and that's going to be massively impactful. We have a very big infrastructure spend underway in this country and in the locations where those big projects are happening, that's going to have a big impact because big infrastructure spends generate economy and jobs and that's huge for real estate. We've seen that time and time again. Low vacancies and rising rents is going to have an impact because Sooner or later, investors are going to look at it and say, okay, infrastructure are rising, but so are yields. Um, now rents are rising a lot. Vacancies are really low. There's no solution in sight to the rental shortage crisis. So this is a, that's plus the fact that markets aren't as hot as they were before and pricing isn't as high. Markets are less competitive than they were. This is a great equation for investors. Um, if we buy in the right places, we can do very well out of this. And so I think we're going to see investors becoming more active this year. There's a trend that we see that, um, you know, affordability essentially is the single most important word driving markets around the country. And those markets where generally the market's been down, like Sydney and Melbourne, the affordable areas are still doing well. In the, the cities that have continued to be strong, like Perth and Adelaide, the affordable areas have been leading that, those cities. Um, and one of the manifestations of the search for affordability is people buying apartments in locations in the big cities like Sydney and Melbourne where they can't afford houses. They want to be well located and they're, they're making that, that shift, that compromise. So, okay, we can't afford to buy $2 million houses, but, but 
in the same suburb, the median price for apartments is six or seven hundred thousand. That's a trend. The final thing I think that's going to have a big influence as we go forward, not just this year and beyond, but it sounds a little bit odd to, to mention this is a factor, but Australia's um, from last year through to 2032 is the host of half a dozen global sporting events. And uh, we've got an Olympic Games, the Commonwealth Games, the Women's Soccer World Cup, which is a huge event, two Rugby World Cups. All of this is going to bring massive focus to Australia. Um, lots of visitors to Australia, but also it's going to necessitate a huge infrastructure spend to prepare for these events, and that's huge for real estate. So all those factors, I think, are very positive for real estate this year and beyond. Mm. Yeah, no, I like that. Now that the borders have been open for a while, and tourism is starting to return to, like there are a lot of economies that have been driven primarily as tourism as the main industry. Have you seen that factor, that specific factor, the borders reopening aspect of it, reigniting any specific markets that might be kind of more tourism-centric? Have you kind of seen that play out at all? I think so. What, what's really interesting is that markets that were so dependent on uh, international tourism for their economies and were expected to dive when borders were closed actually didn't, like the Gold Coast, for example, like the Sunshine Coast, very strong markets uh, because other factors came into play. Um, people were um, in the big cities were, were buying there as part of that exodus trend, and some of them were people wanting to escape lockdowns. We're going to see markets that um, have been international airports um, get a kick from the opening of borders. Um, Cairns is, is a very strong market in North Queensland. So is Townsville. Townsville, I think, is one of the strongest, most promising and affordable markets anywhere in Australia right now. Tremendous momentum there. Um, so th those markets will get an extra kick from the fact that international borders are open. But we're also going to see uh, the major cities get a boost because migrants are coming back. And um, Sydney and Melbourne uh, will get a boost from that. And international students also. We've already seen inner-city vacancies come down hugely in a very short space of time as a result of the return of particularly international students, which is a you know, big factor missing. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I was going to ask you... Um you know, what are the regions that you see uh, performing well in 2023? But and I'd like to dig into that. But first, regions versus capitals, because obviously places like Sydney. Now, Sydney is not one market. Sydney is many markets. Not all locations in Sydney suffered um, negative growth or any of like it didn't, it wasn't, you know, universally applicable across places like Sydney and Melbourne, but generally speaking, Sydney and Melbourne suffered, have suffered price declines over the last year or so. If you had to go and um, kind of like speculate around what would be the more optimal place to be thinking about investing, would you still be thinking the regions are going to perform well over the next year? Do you think it's like time to get into the market in Sydney? What is your perspective on that kind of topic? There are still people out there who sort of have this belief that um, you've got to buy in the capital cities to get the best growth and you've got to buy in the big cities to get the best growth. But um, it's been a long time since that was true. Um, certainly in the last four or five years, the regions generally, as a generalisation, have outperformed capital cities. And uh, I can see that continuing, firstly, because affordability is the thing that people are searching for. Investors want not only affordable properties in locations with an expectation of prices growing, but they're looking for higher rental yields to compensate for rising interest rates. And, and you can get that more readily in regional markets. So I'm expecting in 2023 the markets that get the most attention will be uh, regional markets as well as the smaller capital cities that are more affordable, uh, notably 
Adelaide and Perth, which have been the ones that have stood up best in uh, the 2022 downturn. Yeah, so I, I, do, I do think they're going to do well again. And yeah, I, I actually t- I tend to agree with you. My point of view on that is is very much the same as yours. You know, it's not to say that um, there's not some good buying opportunities in markets which have been depressed by prices, but if you look at what is really going to drive the markets, particularly over the next, you know. 12, you know, the near future, we'll call it the near term future, it's going to be things like affordability. And, uh, and affordability, as you, as you pointed out, comes down to the cost of debt and also the potential rental return, particularly for investors, but also homeowners as well. Um, homeowners drive markets a lot more than, um, the, a lot more than investors do in many cases. And so that nominal affordability, that nominal affordability is going to be the thing which gives buoyancy to those markets. So I personally, my point of view is that. My point of view is that it's probably, even though, you know, prices are objectively lower in places like Sydney and Melbourne now than they were, I wouldn't necessarily be advocating that now is the time to go and jump into those markets because I tend, I, my point of view is that I think that people are still going to be, you know, continuing along that trend of uh, uh, the exodus to affordable lifestyle because it is a technology-enabled um, capability that gives people the opportunity to live a better quality of life and to your point uh, earlier around tur- the tourism locations that were buoyed by in inter interstate and intrastate migration that is exactly the point you know people you know Australians said well those are beautiful places and there are the kind of places that I would go on holiday to if I could go on holiday and in fact I can actually work from wherever I want and in fact it is more affordable than where I am so why don't I just go and live there and this Gold Coast is a great example but also Kansas is a great example, but also places on coastal, uh, you know, the southwest coast of, of Western Australia have benefited from that. Uh, many places in regional South Australia, uh, regional Victoria, these kind of places. And I think that more and more people are reminded that they can actually have a better quality of life if they aren't confined to the um, constraints of urban living. And I, I personally know someone who um, was living on the Mornington Peninsula moved um, closer to the city into a more urban environment. It was fun for a little bit and then they've realised that actually it's just really expensive. You know, all of it's expensive. The rent's expensive, all of the all of the amenities are more expensive, et cetera, and they've actually returned back to the morning to Peninsula because they can live a better quality of lifestyle. Other factors as well, but that was a significant part of it too. And so I don't see that uh, fundamentally changing. And I think there's another factor in there as well, and that is the overt governmental strategy to diversify and distribute the economic hubs around the country. So at one point, there was a kind of a centralization strategy which said, hey, let's try and pile everything into the cities because if we can centralize everyone, we don't have to have infrastructure everywhere and that's going to be a more cost-effective governmental strategy. But I think they're realizing that doesn't work, which is why they pushed jobs nodes and infrastructure projects and major major um, economic um, incentives into regional areas to drive more of that kind of decentralization. So personally, my point of view is that <laughs> I think at least for the next few years, I think we're still going to see regions outperforming capitals in a very in a very meaningful way. I agree with all of that. And, and I, th- I think particularly um, regional Queensland is, is a very special place for investors to consider. When, you, when you, we look at all, all the drivers we've talked about, um, you know, international tourism coming back, where do a lot of them go? Well, they go to Queensland, they go to Cairns, Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast. Home buyers, the, the exodus trend, where are people moving to? They're moving to Queensland far more than anywhere else. And then when you look at the equation that investors are looking for, affordability, high rental years, prospects for growth, regional Queensland can offer buying solid houses in the 300,000s, you know, in multiple 
cities, three and four hundred thousand. You know, you've got Rockhampton and Mackay, Bundaberg, Townsville, Cairns, uh, Gladstone, and my personal favourite, Toowoomba. So you've got so many wonderful options in Queensland. So you've got tourism's heading there, you've got um, internal migrants heading there, and you've got investors heading there. So there's a very, very strong argument that uh, the market that could well be strongest uh, amongst um, the, the regional markets of Australia is going to be regional Queensland. Not the only one, of course, but it's, it's one that sort of ticks so many boxes for so many different cohorts. I tend to agree with you. There's a number of good regions, but I think Queensland's got a lot of strength in it. Um, that is that is for sure. Speculate with me. What do you think is going to happen with interest rates in 2023? Where do you think it's going to go? Yeah, um, well, given that the Reserve Bank doesn't seem to have too many clues about what it's going to do a couple of months in advance, what chance do you and I have? Look, I think we're near the end of the the right raising cycle. We have to be. I don't have a lot of faith in the intelligence of Philip Lowe and his board of you know, the Reserve Bank Board, um, they didn't really see it coming and they misled the country and then they panicked and they've, I think they've already risen, lifted interest rates too much too fast. At some point they have to pause and allow it to see what the impact will be. Um, the other factor is, I don't know, I won't get sidetracked, but I just think lifting interest rates as the only way to deal with inflation just shows you how bereft they are of ideas and uh, how poorly served we are by these people. But I think we may already be done with the interest rate rises or there may be one or two more, but that, that would be it. And so then we can settle down and get used to the, the, the new level of interest rates, which will still be low by historic standards. And at some point, perhaps towards the end of the year, we may even get some interest rate cuts um, as they start to believe that inflation is under control. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think um, I think we're on the same page there. And it's... It's so funny, isn't it, that the interest, like the very, very, very blunt instrument of interest rates was the only lever they seemed to think to pull in order to try and tame inflation. It's like, that's like trying to do surgery with a spoon. I mean, it's like, you know, it, is, it doesn't <laughs> so, make a lot of so sense. True. I mean, th- these geniuses that we allow to sort of impact our lives with their decisions, that's all they got in their kit bag. Lift interest rates. And when you examine the, the key components of why inflation is so high, none of it's been caused by profligate spending by consumers. And lifting interest rates isn't going to deal with it. Lifting interest rates won't bring down the, the price of petrol, which has been caused primarily by war in Europe. Inter- uh, lifting interest rates won't bring down uh, the price of food in the supermarkets, which has been caused by shortages caused by weather events. And then you've got high construction costs and housing, which hasn't been caused by anything other than, um, you know, supply change issues caused by COVID and, you know, other external factors. Lifting interest rates isn't going to reduce those costs in any of those areas. So why why would they expect that lifting interest rates will tame inflation? It really is up to the federal government to actually institute policies to deal with those issues and deal with inflation in that way, I think. But, yeah, great analogy of yours performing surgery with a spoon yeah and very painful as well yeah absolutely yeah absolutely it's kind of like the only thing they could do is like damage everything it's like okay we need we've got a couple of little problems let's smash everything and eventually that'll get that too it's kind of like setting fire to the whole house you know rather than just to get rid of one cockroach or something you know so it's not it's bizarre 
But personally, I think um, I find it really interesting because I think it's caused a lot of property investors referencing an analogy where over the last couple of years, property investors have been kind of like race car drivers. Everyone's been screaming down the the straight. You know, they've been been able to go flat out. Interest rates have been in pretty good stead. They've been you know markets have been moving pretty well, and so it hasn't required a lot of thought or strategy to be an investor. People have just kind of been taking pot shots and sometimes working out in the short term, but maybe not working out now. These kind of environments, which whether they actually impact the their property market or not, impact the way people think about the property market and actually cause people to go, okay, how am I going to think more strategically? If interest rates are higher, what does that mean for cash flow? How do I need to think about more my portfolio strategy? What can I do to be a more successful and uh, an intelligent investor rather than just a kind of like you know, shoot from the hip type investor. I genuinely, I think that things like this are good. I tend to think that when people are faced with a challenge that challenges their thinking or challenges the status quo, it tends to, if they're astute, will tend to make them a better quality investor or a better quality problem solver in whatever uh, endeavor they're in. So my point of view is that I think at the macro, it's good. I mean, I've been saying basically since the start of the rate rising cycle that I literally do not care about interest rate rises. I do not care about interest rate rises. It is causing people to reconsider, okay, what is the optimal strategy for my personal circumstances? And I think that's a good thing because I think that's going to make better quality investors. Um, but at least that's my point of view. Well, I think there's there's basically two types of investors out there. There's the ones who ask, is now a good time to buy? They're the not so bright ones. And then there's the clever ones whose question is, where is it a good time to buy? Because they understand that at any point in time in Australia, in a country of this size, there's always somewhere where it's opportune to buy. It's a question of pinpointing the right places. So someone who's got a sensible strategy isn't terribly concerned about what's going on with interest rates or who's running the federal government or what's going on externally. They're just on a path of we're going to steadily buy good investment properties and accumulate a really good, strong portfolio over time, regardless of what's happening in the background, regardless of all that white noise in the media. And it's just a question at each point in time of pinpointing the right location where it's best for them to put their money at any given point in time. Just getting on with business, regardless of what's going on in the background. Those are the smart ones who are successful. Yeah, 100%. What do you think is going to happen with rents uh, moving forward? Because they've been rising quite a lot in many locations. You know, there's a national rental crisis, and it's we've been saying that for now a couple of years. It's not good. Um, I personally know someone in Sydney who is desperately trying to find a place to live, and they're going and you know they're joining fifty people in a queue trying to get rental properties. I'll give you an opportunity to speak in a second, but I'm just going to riff on something for a second, right? So there's there's kind of a couple of things at play there, right? So Everyone says that investors are bad for renters, but in fact, the actual issue is that homeowners have soaked up all of the investment stock and there's not enough rental properties left, which is the, which is the funny thing. It's like, like renters say, oh, landlords are bad and landlords drive rents up and landlords do all of this kind of stuff or investors do all this kind of stuff. It's actually, it's the lack of investors that causes rental problems, which I tend to find is just a bizarre, it's bizarre that people don't, uh, don't understand that. But then also you've got this, um, Interesting situation where where wages aren't rising um, particularly quickly. They are rising a little bit, but not a lot. Rents are rising a lot faster than wages. Do you think that there's a chance or a likelihood that we're going to see like a natural ceiling on where rents can rise to based on affordability, or do you think that the continuous tightening of demand, uh, the tightening of supply, is just going to mean that uh, rents are just going to keep going up? Do you think we're kind of like naturally going to find that equilibrium at some point? 
Yeah, look, I think, um, firstly, we have the forces in play for rents to rise, as they have been for the last year or two. And they've risen a lot, and they will continue to rise. But there comes a point in individual markets where the market's capacity to pay more higher and higher rents reaches reaches a ceiling, and landlords just won't be able to keep putting up rents on a whim because people just won't be able to afford to pay those sorts of levels. So there's going to be a natural levelling out regardless of, of the vacancy rates. We're seeing stories of uh, all the time of people being forced out by a, a rent rise, and I'm very mindful as a property investor, as a landlord, that when it comes time for a, a lease to be renewed and reviewed, that yes, the market says I can put up my, my rent another 10 or 20%, but I may lose a very good tenant if I do that. So um, I'm actually being uh, rather moderate um, and perhaps um, not maximising what the market will give me in terms of rent because I don't want to lose a good tenant. There's value in having a good tenant and there are costs involved in losing that tenant and having to replace them. So it's actually smart, I think, as a landlord to perhaps accept a lesser rent than the market would dictate you can get to maintain a, a good tenancy and not have the cost of having to replace them. The forces are exist for rents to rise. There is no solutions in sight because the politicians don't get get it. They don't understand how we got to this point. Therefore, they don't understand how to fix it. And it's very simply fixed by encouraging investors to go out there and buy investment properties, um, providing incentives rather than disincentives. But that's not happening. So there is going to be market pressure for rents to rise, but there is a limit to how much they can simply because of the market's inability to pay more and more. Given that most people are renting, are renting, not, not everyone, but a lot of people are renting because they can't afford to buy. Therefore, you know, their incomes limit their ability to pay higher and higher rents. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, 100% agree. 100% agree. Okay. So. Are there any other thing, any other advice you might give to property investors thinking about investing this year? Well, probably the single biggest thing is tune out the media white noise. If, if you tune into media and you believe what you're reading, most of which is misinformation, I really do believe most of it is misinformation, then you're probably not going to make good decisions or you might make a decision to take no action because of the negative in the media. So it's really important to understand that that's not where you go to get good information to inform your decisions as property investors. You need to go to people who have proven over time that they understand markets and give good advice, like Hotspotting, like Dashdot. Um, there's a few others out there that people can go to and find out what's really going on. There's so many um, misconceptions and myths out there perpetrated by media that it reminds me of sort of 2020 when COVID struck and, and people who believe what was in the media decided not to take action that they had planned to take to buy property. And a year later, they severely regretted that they hadn't acted when they intended to originally. Um, and, um, you know, because property was like 20% higher, they missed a massive opportunity by uh, allowing media to dictate their decisions. So I would urge people not to make that mistake in 2023 because they're it is a time of opportunity if you can uh, tune out the white noise and see the opportunities that exist. I that's I, you know that is an absolutely fantastic way to wrap up the episode. I just want to share a, a, a quick a quick anecdote though. They're right back if we go back to um because obviously we we know a lot of investors who were about to invest right when COVID hit and then decided not to. And you're right, they were the ones that 12 months later were very regretful. We had a few people who said, no, let's do it anyway. They were the ones who were very successful. But there was one 
um, young investor who stood out uh, to me. He was buying his very first investment property. We were helping him buy that investment property. Um, it was due to settle on March 23rd, 2020. Just like right, just like pretty much just after COVID had broken out and everything, you know, everything was going, everything was, everyone was thinking the world was going to end. And he was settling on his first property and he was really bold about it. He said, okay, no, let's do it. I think, well, maybe we're exchanging contracts. Right, cool. I'm excited. Let's, let's do it and commit. Now he lent in and he committed, uh, in, in that environment, despite the uncertainty. He was like, right, let's go into it. And as a result, he's had something like, over, well, it's over 40%. I don't want to say how much more than that, but I know for a fact that it's over 40% um, growth just in the last couple of years. And that was his very first property. And when a, lot of, when a lot of other people had already started saying, no, no, we're going to back out, he said, no, no, I'm cool, I'm in. And as a result, he's now, he's now lining up to build a successful portfolio. And I think he was just at around 20 years old at the time. So really setting himself up in a really good, in good stead. Yeah, really good for him. And uh, yeah, at that time, I bought, bought a few new investment properties myself and not only has the value growth since then been fantastic, but the rental growth has been just beyond my wildest dreams. A great example, a great case study um, of the wisdom of just, you know, I keep saying it, tune out the white noise. If it's your intention to buy now, you have the capacity to buy now, as long as you choose the right location, don't let anybody talk you out of it. Just go ahead and do it. Exactly. I agree with you, Terry. Terry, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's always wonderful to have you on the show. I always enjoy our conversations, not just because you're so agreeable to my general point of view, but because I really appreciate um, your insights and your perspectives. You bring a lot a lot of value to the conversation. And um, I know that the listeners really love the episodes that you're on. So thanks so much for, for spending some time with me again. Yeah, pleasure. I mean, we do tend to agree. One of these episodes we're actually going to disagree on something but we tried uh, that once though we tried that once though terry remember and then we just ended up agreeing on everything again didn't work <laughs> I, mean, I, I, think the, I think i think the reason we do agree is that w- we are informed we we have teams uh, researching the market in an intelligent way we actually understand how markets do work we're getting it right most of the time so um yeah, the people we're disagreeing with are the people with the big titles working with the big banks who constantly get it wrong yeah, exactly. Well, Terry, I look forward to having you on again. Speak to you soon. Okay, mate. A pleasure.